Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. Our August print edition will hit the streets next week. You can find our latest online coverage at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have another fantastic show lined up for today. Call it the Hot Labor Summer Edition of the Independent News Hour. We're going to have the latest on the historic contract settlement reached last week between UPS and the Teamsters. And then in our second segment, we'll hear about some Starbucks workers from Long Island who stormed the company's regional headquarters in Manhattan to demand the reinstatement of a popular coworker who they say was fired for being a union leader. And in the final part of today's show, we'll open the phone lines and take calls from our listeners. But now we turn to the biggest labor news of the past week. Last Tuesday, the Teamsters, which represent 340,000 UPS workers, reached a tentative contract agreement with the company just days before an August 1st strike deadline. Sorry, strike deadline. The union's leaders are calling the new five-year contract historic. Among the gains made by the UPS Teamsters are significant increases in starting wages for part-time preloaders, the end of a two-tier system for drivers, the end of forced overtime, and a commitment to install air conditioning in all UPS vans bought in 2024. The workers will be voting on the contract from August 3rd to the 22nd. The tentative agreement came after 20 years of concession-laden contracts negotiated by the union's old leadership. In 2021, the Teamsters voted into office a new national leadership that vowed to embrace a militant rank-and-file organizing strategy in their contract campaign. In recent months, UPS Teamsters and their supporters engaged in practice pickets across the country to put UPS on notice that the company would be crippled by strike if it did not reach a fair contract with the union. Here to talk more about this is Antonio Rosario, a 29-year UPS worker and an organizer with Local 804 in New York City, one of the most militant Teamsters locals in the country. Antonio, welcome to the Independent News Hour, or welcome back. Well, thank you, and thank you both for having me. I appreciate you, John and Amber. You know, uh, you guys are doing a great job, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much. So we touched it a little bit. But first off, tell us tell us more about all that this contract encompasses and why it's so historic. Well, you know, it's the first time that we're actually, you know, instead of giving back, taking back. Um, you know, there's a lot of historic gains here on this contract. I mean, uh, I would start just by talking about the two-tier 22-4 position that was created in 2018 that has been a real uh, problem for us and uh, created a lot of division amongst our workers. Um, We got that language removed, and all those workers will become full-time drivers now, which is what they should have been in the first place because they were doing the same work. We all know in a union, if you're doing the same work, you deserve the same pay. Um, That was a horrible language, and we won that one back. And it's very difficult when you're uh, fighting a, a, a company that you've already put language into a contract to remove it. So that was a big, huge gain. Um, another big, huge gain, uh, air conditioning in the vehicles. I mean, you know, it's going to take some time to get them all done, but I believe over the five years of the lifespan of this contract, they have to have at least 30,000 vehicles done right off the bat. And then on top of that, 
uh, the vehicles and, and those vehicles, of course, will go to the most important areas where you, uh, heat is all year round, like, uh, Las Vegas and Nevada. You have, uh, of course, Texas, Florida, all these states that are super hot. Um, but, uh, the, on the other side of that, trucks that won't be getting it until, you know, as, as they start to retrofit all the vehicles, they'll be retrofitted with heat shields and proper ventilation and fans just to make sure most of the workers are cool until they do finally get that air conditioning. I've been around for quite some time. As you stated, I've been around for 29 years. So I was there when we were just happy to get power steering and automatic vehicles. So I remember that taking close to 10 to 15 years for all those vehicles to be swapped out to get new vehicles. So I expect probably, uh, you know, around the same. Still a big win, a huge win for workers, especially this newer generation. And so it's just great that these workers don't have to endure what many of us had to endure. Um, that's also a big win. Then we can go into the, uh, of course, the, the raises, raises for all workers, part time and full time. Uh, I believe it was a seven fifty, seven dollars and fifty cents in total over the next five years. Um, with big bumps off the beginning, uh, many part-timers that were only making $15 an hour are going to be bumped right up, uh, about six bucks. They're going to be making uh, $21, uh, $21 an hour right off the bat. And then with progressional salaries, I remember when we had the fight for 15, these part-time workers all went to $15 an hour and were stuck there for many years because it wasn't contractual as part of the fight for 15 through the government. So um, I think this is big that they're going to get a $5 jump right off the bat. And on top of that, get another five to six bucks as time goes by. And they have longevity increases now. Workers that are being rewarded for being there longer, uh, people that have been there over 10 years will get a certain amount. Part-timers that have been there over between five and 10 years will also get an amount. Um, so it's a big rate wages increases all across the board. Um, on top of that, we also have um, the elimination of the six day work week. Um, they, well, not this elimination. I should rephrase that. Uh, no longer forced overtime on a six day punch. Um, so there were not in our local, but you know, we show solidarity regardless to what, cause it's a big win for a lot of workers that were dealing with this where there were working 10, 11, sometimes 12-hour days, six days a week forced on that six day to make that overtime. Some workers don't even want it. Uh, I remember during the Sean O'Brien campaign going down to Virginia asking people to vote, and I remember them walking away from me saying, forget that, I'm not voting. They don't do anything for me. And I could see the bruised, battered look on their faces, how exhausted they were. You can tell that this person was working some long hours, too many days. And 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 this person literally said to me, hey, you know, I work six days a week. I have no time for my family. And it was disheartening. And I said, that's why you need to vote, man. That's why you need to vote. And I hope that person did because that's been eliminated. No more workers will be forced to work on a six-day anymore, uh, full-time workers that were out there during that time period. So that's good. Um, there are so many big gains. I could keep going on and on. Just one more or two more things. As far as part-timers go, now they can transfer all over the country. I mean, I just thought when I started this job in 94 or 95 as a part-time preloader, I would just ha would have loved to decide, well, you know what? Maybe this week, you know, this time I want to leave New York and maybe go to, I don't know, Miami or, you know, Texas. Who knows? You know, just just the thought that a part-timer now is not, you know, uh, uh, most part-timers are stuck being in their local can't go. Now you can transfer all over the country was pretty big and now part-timers can actually get time and a half overtime on their days off which is pretty good too also real quick because it has been underplayed a lot 7,500 new full-time jobs created as far as 
a 22-3 position, which are a lot of some kind of combo positions in our job, which are really good for part-timers that don't want to go driving, that want to make some some extra money, which is a is, it's been a, a job implemented sometime in the 90s worked really well so now part-timers can do that and they also have to fill 2200 jobs 22,000 I'm sorry 22,000 jobs that have not been filled so essentially creating close to 30,000 new full-time jobs that part-timers if they feel they're not making enough money they can step up to the full-time without having to be a driver but those are just some of the wins Right. And, um, you know, uh, people will find out more about those as, as the news continues and, uh, if the contract is, uh, eventually ratified. But uh, two things that stick out are the ending of that 22-4 two-tier system for the drivers where some drivers were making 20 to 25% were making less than others for, as you said, the same job. Um, and then another thing is that the, the part-timers, while everyone got wages, uh, raises across the war- board, the part-timers, got the highest jump. Um, part-timers started getting different pay at uh, UPS in 1982. And since then, the increases have, their pay has basically gotten less and less and less and less. For example, you started in 94 at 950. Um, so did another worker I spoke to who was hired in 2008. So that's what part-timers were facing. They're doing this physical grueling job of usually uh, loading the backs of the trucks. Just talk about why Eliminating the 22-4s and pushing forth the plight of the part-timers is such an important part of taking the union back and of a solidarity on the shop floor and in the union, because I heard a lot about tensions around those issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, over time, those positions became pretty tough because the 22-4, when it came into um, into effect in 2018, they were essentially not given a lot of the rights that drivers were. And it was upsetting to them because they didn't understand because they weren't doing what they thought that, you know, they were hired for. The job was created for them to work inside and then come out and alleviate overtime for full-time drivers. But it turned out the job went into play around 2018, but then the pandemic hit. And these drivers never really went inside the building. They were only working as drivers doing driver work, doing pickups. Everything that a driver did, they did. That they were really exploited because they had no overtime protections. A regular, what we call a RPCD, regular package car driver, um, can, uh, can, can go on what we call a nine five list. The nine five list is, um, a list for people that don't want to work excessive overtime. And if they do force them to work excessive overtime, there are seriously some serious monetary penalties. So a driver can essentially get three, three times his, his salary for every time the company violates his nine five rights. And this is a list as a driver that you can go on and come off of depending on whether you're a driver that likes to work overtime or you're a driver that doesn't want the overtime. This wasn't available to the 224. That language wasn't there for them. Also, an RPCD regular package car driver can actually put in an eight-hour request where the day before, if they need to be out in eight hours the following day, they can put in a request through their steward, which will run it up to the uh, supervisor, and they will uh, get the an eight-hour day for the following day. So they make sure that they have the amount of work in the truck to give this uh, allowed eight-hour day for the driver. Again, 22-4s weren't uh, uh, privy to that. They That wasn't in their language. You know, they couldn't go on the 9-5 list. They couldn't do that. They couldn't even bid on routes. So drivers that are bidding on routes that are available, you know, a lot of uh, locals around the country, when a route goes up for bid, meaning a driver either retired or for whatever reason lost their job, 
um, that route would now essentially go up for bid and the drivers with the highest seniority would put their name on it to get it. That was not available to them either. So they essentially were, you know, they had questions. They came into this job not knowing all of this. They just thought that they were regular drivers because that's what they were hired to do since they were working there. They never really knew the ins and outs of that particular position. And it, it, it was really bad when you have a driver in front of a steward saying, hey, put me on the 9-5 list or I need a request load or, or you know, um, I'm going to go bid on that route. And this this 22-4 is listening to this and saying, well, I want a request load. I, I want to. I'm sorry, that's not available for you. So it already started creating a divide. You can see the tension just there alone because they want to know why, because they're doing the same work. So that was an issue. Um, and, and the part-time pay has been, like you mentioned, from when I was working, uh, 9.50 an hour in 1994 was, was a, not, not a, uh, an amazing salary, but you know what? It was way, it was well above minimum wage and it, it helped me in my particular, in my particular predicament back in. Minimum wage was 3.50. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it, it should have been around 3.54 bucks somewhere in that category. Um, and I'm making 9.50, you know, uh, I don't know. Not everybody knows this, but uh, two years prior to me getting a job at UPS, my father had passed away and my mother was stuck with a mortgage and she was having some trouble. I was trying to go to college. And you know what? The great thing about getting a union job is that, you know, if you can't go to college and it's not and it's not something that you can do or it's just not for you, then lucky enough, you can still get a good union job to help you because I was able to make enough money to help my mom. And that's what everybody should be able to do, right? So I'm hoping that this bump helps these part-timers kind of get where some of us at were at back then. And I honestly, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the best. I wish that we would have been able to get them up to 25. I really do. Um, I think that we got to fight harder next time and get even more, but it's not over yet. Uh, the, the members still have to vote to get right. this contract ratified. It's a democratic process. This will go out to all the members. But uh, last I heard that uh, as far as voting on the local levels, all the locals, with the except with the exception of one, did vote to endorse this contract. Um, a lot of people are endorsing this contract. There's 340,000 workers at UPS. Obviously, not everyone is going to be happy, but um, it is the best contract we've seen in, in in my time, 29 years with the company. Best contract I've seen. But then again, I got a lot of crappy contracts to uh, put it up next to, right? Because uh, Hoffa definitely did a lot of concessionary stuff on the way. Give me one second here. All right. Um, we're waiting for uh, Antonio Rosario to uh, come back in just a moment to rejoin us. Uh, you are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. As I was saying, we're uh, speaking with Antonio Rosario, a 29-year uh, Teamster uh, and uh, UPS driver here in New York, uh, a member and a organizer with a local 804, uh, one of the more militant uh, locals in the Teamsters. Uh, a- Antonio, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Thank you. All right. I apologize. No, no problem. We know you're a busy guy. Um, so uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the the rank and file organizing strategy uh, that the union has deployed over the last couple of years? I mean, as you alluded to, uh, the – uh, under the leadership of Jimmy Hoffa Jr. for more than 20 years, uh, the union sort of uh, languished, and, and, and you saw a lot of uh, concessionary contracts uh, negotiated behind closed doors. And um, after uh, sort of the Hoffa regime was ousted in the 2021 elections that brought 
uh, Sean O'Brien and a, uh, and a whole slate of new leaders into power. Um, can you talk about uh, this whole new approach uh, that was uh, uh, utilized here in this uh, campaign? All right. Well, uh, to, to talk about that, I'm going to have to just dive a little bit into the history. Um, so uh, we're talking about uh, a long time rank and file movement that has been pretty powerful uh, going from the past into the future. But um, there were times where there was a decline. Right. There, and the, there were times where we were struggling as a as a group. Uh, for example, you know, when we talk about organized crime being in our Teamsters um, and in the uh, 70s and 80s was very difficult. Um, there was an organization, a caucus, if you haven't heard of them, called Teamsters for Democratic Union. Um, they started their first uh, reform caucus in 1976, um, joining with a bunch of rank-and-file workers to take on organized crime in our union. And uh, with the help of many Teamster rank-and-file workers, they were able to overcome and in 1991 actually got their first democratically elected international president, which was then Ron Carey. Now, in 91, when he became president, it started a huge movement. And in 97 is when I was part of the 1997 UPS strike, which was pretty big. So I came in at a young age uh, at 94, at, at about 23, 20, uh, about 19, 20 years old. And then in, in 97, you know, I was uh, three, two or three years older. And uh, I got to experience this huge strike, which this reform music movement with the help of Teachers for Democratic Union. Why I mentioned this is because when Ron Carey had gotten taken out, um, what uh, around 98, uh, Hoffa had taken over. And then there was another mission at that point, n nobody really knowing where H Hoffa stood right off, off the bat. He, you know, we thought he was going to be great for our union. He was the son of the great, you know, Jimmy Hoffa. But after the first five years, you can see that it wasn't that good. Uh, in 1997, we signed probably our first five year contract on the Ron Carey, but it was because of striking and fighting for good things that we signed something that long. That was actually kind of a concession back then, signing such a, a long contract. Before that, I remember there being three and four year contracts, never anything that, that massive. And it, this was the first contract that I, uh, was a part of. Um, now moving into now where you mentioned 2021, same kind of thing. You know, it took another, you figure it took them from 76 TDU and a bunch of rank and file workers with the Teamsters almost 20 years to remove uh, organized crime and get Ron Carey in there. Then when he got, he lost, it took almost another 20, 25 years. But all through that time, uh, many Teamsters and rank and file members were learning and going to these TDU events and conventions and actually learning about how to take on bad supervisors, uh, grievance handling, these workshops that we weren't at the time really getting from the IBT. So what I, I only say all this to say that in 2021, there was kind of like a match made in heaven where TDU and the and some of the members from the IBT started working together, uh, some of the rank and file workers, uh, along with the Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman, and they, st they started this coalition um, you call Teamsters United. Teamsters United now was a coalition of all rank and file workers with TDU activists. And it really turned into this great moment of grassroots organizing where we were out there um, just to get the, the campaign going, just to get all the work that we put in. Uh, we had groups that we called road warriors that would go across state lines. Uh, me, myself, I was all the way up and down the East Coast um, going to these barns that were, you know, not they were uh uh we call them hostile territory because a lot of them were half of supporting uh, locals. 
And we were really fighting hard to get new leadership, as I mentioned, going down to Virginia and speaking to that one worker. Um, but, you know, it took a long time standing movement and 28 listen we tried in 2016 we lost at, at that time it was fred zuckerman and we tried in 2016 and we lost by six thousand votes could you imagine losing by six thousand votes 1.3 million or 1.4 million teamsters whatever it was at the time and we lost by six thousand votes it was so hurtful but we knew that you know there was an opportunity there it's the closest we've ever come and then uh, we knew we were going to come back again, and we knew 2021 was the way to go, and we did, and we went on a, a movement. And then around 2016 into 2018, the straw that broke the camel's back was when we all voted down 97% in favor of turning down a contract, and they rammed it down our throats. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but it was uh, the old archaic two-thirds rule that basically said if two-thirds of the main, of the membership doesn't vote, then the leadership can implement this contract. And unfortunately, only 80-something thousand workers out of 300 and about 300,000 UPS workers vo voted, well, 300, almost 340,000 workers voted, and uh, it wasn't enough to get past that two-thirds hump. And they implemented it, and it pissed a lot of people off. It really was the straw that broke the camel's back, and that's when people knew that we needed to change. Sean O'Brien was out there talking about it. He was against it. Fred Zuckerman was already on board since 2016. And then we started to have this movement, and, and it was an agitational moment, right? Let's be real. Everybody was angry about it. It wasn't hard for us to go around talking about, look, this is what they did to us. One of the best things that Sean O'Brien and his team did before they even got elected at the national convention uh, uh, in, in, in Las Vegas is remove the two thirds rule. It was something that was removed before they even got into office. It was huge because now they could never implement the contract on us again, which was a big win. And I, uh, again, I say all this to lead up to how we got where we are now, 2021. That was how we won that victory. It was all the growing pains over those years of fighting. It was TDU activists. It was rank and file workers that were tired of it. And it's a, a, just a coalition of workers that were just tired of the BS and were out there really pushing hard to get this new regime elected and get the old, the old guard out. And we did. And, and not to say that there's not still some old guard there, but these are all people that have reformed. They're all changing because they know that we need to step in a newer direction. Um, at one time, Fred Zuckerman himself and Sean O'Brien were aligned with Hoffa. But, you know, when you were, when you're beating your head up against the wall because you're constantly being told, no, this is the way we're going to do things. You're like, no, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. Um, and, and it was great to see that we were all able to stand together, put our differences aside and work towards a common goal and win. And now this is what leads us to where we are today, right? This huge movement where, um, we knew there was a contract coming and we were going to fight for it no matter what. And we were going to try to get as much as we could from this company as we can. And, you know, I cannot be prouder of the work that was put into this, the practice pickets, the, uh, escalated actions, the rallies. Um, working with other organizations and groups that have been super helpful, like, uh, the DSA, other leftist organizations like PSL. Um, there were so many good, 
uh, organizations that came out in support of us, when those supervisors and managers were looking out those windows and those UPS buildings and they saw an army of brown out there with a bunch of community organizations and activists, they didn't just see UPS workers in brown. It was a whole army of people out there chanting, hooting and hollering, letting, letting them know. And our customers that came out in support of us, you know, and some of us out there were my families. I was bringing my kids to those practice pickets. Um, and we were letting them know that this is it. We're done. We're done with concessions. The concession stand is closed. You're the one handing over concessions this time. And this is why I say that it's the first time in a long time that we took back instead of giving back. And it took, and, and I know that was long winded, but I just wanted you to understand like how, why and how long it took to get where we're at. It wasn't easy. And we still got a ways to go. This is just the beginning. Like I said, we didn't get everything we wanted, but I know that this is a huge stepping stone. This is a huge victory um and we could only go up from here because we were already at the bottom so we just got a huge great contract we'll see with the members uh decide to vote either way you know that's where we're going to go and if you want to know a little bit about the process i can speak about that next yeah well we do we do want to hear about the ratification process um maybe i'll just uh you know our time is running short so no, it's okay. Don't apologize. I think all of our listeners are extremely happy and overjoyed to have just learned what they did from that oral history. So don't apologize. I'll, I'll tell people if you're okay with it, that there's, uh, that each local, the, the stewards and the organizers at each local are going around from building to building and hitting every shift, every, every worker, every steward, every steward having parking lot meetings and going over the contract. Telling them what it is. Here's a one pager. Here's a link to the 40 page full document you can see marked up and people are going to be voting from the third to the 22nd. Um, and that's really, you know, also just interesting. Like all of this is about interfacing. Now I know you said that the straw that broke the camel's back was the 2018 contract that the workers didn't vote for. It sounds like this cherry on top, shall I say, was working through the pandemic and not getting any hazard pay and working through that time when everyone was calculating how long a virus stayed on a cardboard box. And I know you lost coworkers and I know coworkers lost family. And so I just want to mention that, but I want to show And and that was at a time when UPS's profits and revenues were reaching all time heights. So much more deliveries were being made by the workers and the UPS was raking in billions of profits and then handing them out as stock uh, buybacks to their investors. Um, so that's uh, some of the context here, too. Absolutely. Thank you, John, for chiming in. But I, we're going to go to a clip here in our last few minutes, because last night, the New York City Democratic Socialist of America hosted a strike power town hall where worker organizers from Barber and Chino's, the first ever unionized standalone pizza shop, who we're going to hear from, um, Starbucks Worker United. UAW, SAG-AFTRA, WGA, NISNA, all talked about their current battles, how to improve your union, how to organize, things like this. So we're going to go to a clip now, and we're going to hear first from Alex Dinworth with Barbara and Chinos that just unionized, and then Michelle Gonzalez with NISNA. About a year and a half ago, my restaurant had a catastrophic leak. Um, we have a, a bathroom pipe in our basement that exploded during all those crazy floods last year. And there was all kinds of sewage and bathroom waste downstairs in our basement. 
The owners refused to stop service, and there was a catastrophic flood. Employees put trash bags on, just like the pandemic, and they went in and they cleaned up the entire mess. And the bosses said no. The bosses said, you close, and you can't leave until 11, and those workers walked off the phone job. recent verse we heard a voice we heard was michelle gonzalez with new york state uh, nurses association and before that it was alex dinworth with the i'm not sure if it's barbara and chino's workers i'm not sure what the name of their union is to be honest um but yeah antonio just respond to what it's like to be a part of this greater movement now and then um you know uh if you could sort of just finish off by talking about where this momentum that was built in the Teamsters, particularly my UPS workers, is going, right? And might it impact Amazon? Yeah, excellent questions. I mean, so you you guys know this campaign uh, created an enormous amount of energy, right? Um, It's like, where does that energy go now? Like, uh, is it over? So we still have to vote on it. Uh, Like you mentioned, it'll be voted on hopefully by the 22nd. We'll actually know where we're at. Um, I feel like uh, there's a lot of positivity around this, so it most likely will go through. And the point is the energy has to go right on through and into Amazon and talking to those workers. And when you speak about what Michelle spoke of, she's a nurse and she's done so much work. And she's I was listening to her and she got me inspired, too. It's like it's happening. You feel it everywhere. Right. Starbucks workers were speaking at that event. Uh, the, the, the folks from the pizzeria that just organized. I mean, they really had me excited. Um, you know, uh, uh, Brandon from the UAW was there with, uh, with, from the uh, UAWD caucus. I mean, it was just, you, you know, that we're in a moment in time right now where, uh, people are, are just done. People are frustrated. Uh, you mentioned it, John. I mean, the CEOs and the shareholders are lining their pockets. There's nothing but buybacks there. They're completely exploiting the workers in this country. People are just so tired and fed up. And you can only run a horse so hard until you run into the ground. And we're done. We're not running into the ground. We're going to fight back. People are fighting back. People are standing up for their rights. Workers are standing up all over, whether it be Amazon workers, Starbucks workers, Trader Joe workers, Chipotle workers, pizzeria workers. I mean, I heard that there was a Waffle House, that there was a, a walkout at a Waffle House. Like yeah. in South Carolina, no less. 
Yeah, yeah. So people are standing up and it, and it's time. And I say we take this energy and this momentum and continue to build up it. You know, it's it's old school, one-on-one grassroots conversations, everybody working together to fight for more and showing some real solidarity, right? Solidarity with one another. The G, uh, I forgot to mention the, the WGA and the Savatra. I mean, I'm like, I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. Because I think about this moment in time and it's like, you only, uh, I was 20 something years old the last time I was on strike and I didn't hear nothing about striking anywhere for years later. Um, I think sometime around, around 2012, I heard about the Chicago nurses and they were like out there in the streets and it was insane. Um, but, but it's like, it hasn't been it's so far and few in between, but here we are in 2023 and it's like back to back people are striking. A friend of mine while we're on this call just sent me a message that some folks in the sugar factories out out west uh i, I don't know if it's in montana or Ohio, uh, idaho they're going to be striking against a sugar factory um it's just like so much is going on we just got to continue to build off this energy build off this momentum and really engage our workers all over and and, and continue to make sure that everybody understands we got to fight for more these people aren't going to give us anything we have to continue to build this and i always tell everybody the the, the working class is at war right now and the only way to fight them is by building an army of organizers prepared to inoculate agitate and make sure we get workers on board and continue to fight this together Right. Well, Antonio Rosario, 29-year UPS worker and worker organizer with uh, Teamsters Local 804, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you. Um, we will be checking in with Tony again at some point, uh, hopefully. And uh, just for listeners, uh, if you are wanting to start a union at your workplace and you don't know how to do that or what to do that, you can go to workerorganizing.org, which is literally what the Barber and Chino's workers did, and they won. So go to workerorganizing.org, and if you are in a union and you feel that it needs to be revitalized, I think labor notes might be a good place to get some information. Just Absolutely. look up We'll leave it at that because we are very excited to speak with a Starbucks Worker United member. Next, we're going to go to a short break and we'll be right back. That was Power to the Workers, sung by DSA Singing Solidarity Group, performed last night at that Strike Ready Town Hall in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, that we were talking about. If you are just joining now, this is the Independent News Hour. I am your co-host, Ambigar Garian, here with John Tarleton. We both work at the Independent New York City's lefty newspaper and website. 
And we are broadcasting to you from WBAI 99.5 FM. Something unique about this radio station is that it's the only radio station that provides you news that is not corporate sponsored at all whatsoever. Uh, other stations might be partial corporate sponsored, partial private investor, and then partial listener based. We are only listener based. That is the uh, precipice under which the station, um, it was founded. And uh, what's important about that is that we can bring to you the voices of workers on the front lines and other demonstrators against repression. Uh, the, what we need in order to keep doing that is um, some of your money. If you can afford to give us $5, that's okay. If you can afford to give us $15, 100 1000 or 15 monthly, that would be great too. Imagine what your day would be like without WBAI. And if that feels not good, then please donate to keep us on air. You can do so by calling the phone number 212-209-2950. Again, it's 212-209-2950. Or go online to give the number to WBAI.org. That's give the number to WBAI.org. And one of the best ways you can support this station is by becoming a WBAI buddy a monthly sustainer uh, for this uh, radio station giving uh, at least $10 a month. If you, if you do that, if you become a WBAI buddy, you become eligible for all sorts of uh, awesome premiums uh, that give you uh, access to uh, various uh, cultural events in, in New York city and uh, swag from the station and all those good things. But you, all, and all you have to do is call 212-209-2950 and say, I want to become a WBAI buddy, whether it's $10 a month, $15 a month, $25 or $50 a month, if you can go there. And uh, uh, you can also uh, go online to give number two, WBAI.org, and pull out the plastic and uh, fill out the forms there online and also become a WBAI buddy that way. And when you do, as Amba was just saying, you make it possible for uh, us to bring on the voices of of people fighting for change here in New York City, uh, fighting for worker rights and all the other issues we cover, voices like uh, Antonio Rosario. And in a moment, we're going to hear from Brendan Lopez from the Starbucks Workers Union. And uh, Amba, you said it. I mean, there, there, there's no other radio station in the city where the voices are so unfiltered and, and completely out of the that that corporate uh uh, news lens. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so if you want to support that, and you know, I say this a lot, but I really, really mean it. If you're the listener who's listening, thinking I gave two years ago or someone else is giving, you know, uh, that might not be the case because we struggle to pay our rent every month. So please make it a little easier for August and call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or give the number to WBAI.org. I'm going to leave it at that because we are very excited to speak to our next well, guest. If I can actually just say one more thing, which is yes, that when you on. give to WBAI, you not only sh- – support shows like the independent news hour, but all the rest of the programming on the station, the news, the public affairs, the cultural, the music. And just this evening, after we go off the air at six o'clock, there will be a half hour edition of today's democracy. Now followed by interpersonal update with Harriet, uh, fraud wolf. And then what's happening from seven to eight 
Out FM from 8 to 9 p.m. And then there'll be special programming from 9 to 10. And then the sweet spot from 10 to 12 p.m. So, yeah, just a, a, a great schedule throughout the evening. And your support it makes it possible. One more time, 212-209-2950. And it makes it possible for us to bring forward uh, voices like that of Brendan Lopez, who we're going to hear from in a moment. Um, as we turn to another historic labor struggle that is unfolding in front of our eyes, Starbucks workers have unionized 340 stores across the country in the past year and a half, including more than a dozen in the New York City region. They have faced a scorched earth anti-union campaign by Starbucks every step of the way. The company has fired more than 250 workers who were engaged in union activities. The National Labor Relations Board has found the company guilty of more than 80 labor law violations with more cases under review. In June, Brendan Lopez, a union leader at a Starbucks in the Long Island suburb of Farmingville, was fired. His store manager has since landed a cushy job at a corporate headquarters in Manhattan uh, for Starbucks. And yesterday, uh, Brendan and his co-workers went to those corporate offices near Penn Station to confront their former manager, Joey Crischione. All right, so uh, uh, Brendan, welcome to WBAI and the Independent News Hour. Thank you for having me on. Sure. So, uh, your reaction to uh, hearing the voices of your coworkers uh, yesterday, who came out in uh, in your defense? It's it couldn't have been a better feeling. My heart's warmed. Uh, my spirits are high, um, and I'm just very proud of everybody who was part of it and everybody who uh, made it out. Right, and tell us, Brendan, a little bit more about why that happened uh you were fired while being one of the most ardent organizers um and take it from there tell us what went down yeah so um me and a fellow co-worker sam Fornetto um are very you know prominent very obvious uh union organizers in our store um starbucks makes it very clear that they do not want a union because it limits the power on the on the higher-ups and it also puts an eye on them um who are running rampant throughout throughout the stores, like uh, making anti-union uh, campaigns, uh, spreading misinformation upon the unions, um, and suppressing the voices of its people who work so hard for it and so, who my friends are working very hard right now in Farmingville. And, and what were some of the reasons uh, that you all felt it was necessary to have a union at your store in Farmingville? Uh, because it was, it was just like, it was just very obvious that the, the company just didn't care about its workers. Uh, we had previous store managers who, uh, who abused their power, um, and with no regulations and just run rampant with their inappropriate comments, uh, blatantly ignoring, uh, work scheduling, uh, amongst other coworkers, uh, making it impossible uh, for them to, you know, go to school and go to work, 
have a family life and such and such as forth. It's it's not fair to the people. Um, it's not fair to, to the family that I grew so close with, and it's not fair to anybody else who has to go with, along with it. We hear from a lot of uh, workers who are organizing or fighting their bosses, and uh, everyone, you know, tends to complain about some level of management harassment. But I think particularly some of the grievances of uh, you Starbucks workers has been this what the managers say on the floor or the way they speak to you. Is that right? It seems to be that there's a lot of not really just not liking the way you're being talked to by managers. It's inhumane. Or can you talk a little bit more about it or give us some examples? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's completely disgusting. Um, our store manager, Joey Crisoni, uh, would oftentimes, uh, use, uh, slurs. Obviously I won't repeat it, but, um, he would, he would slur, um, uh, you know, the homophobic one. Um, and you know, me personally, uh, I was very offended by it. Um, he knew other people were offended by it and he still blatantly used it. Um, he did not care for his true language. Um, he did not care for much, uh, much of anybody else's opinions except for his own. And this is for a corporation that has, uh, emphasized its support, uh, for the LGBTQ community, uh, tries to, uh, sort of wrap itself in the rainbow flag when it, at least when it's convenient. Um, and, and now he's gotten a promotion, uh, to the, uh, regional corporate headquarters, uh, uh within a month or so of your firing. Uh, I, I mean, can you just kind of talk about this, uh, uh, corporate culture here that kind of portrays itself in one way and, and then rewards people like this, uh, on the other side? You know, it's, it's, it, it very clearly shows where their hearts are. Um, not in the people, but in the money. And, um, you know, they always say that there's, there's a, um, there's a support for the LGBTQ community, uh, for those out there who, who aren't represented as much. Um, by that, I, I really can't, I can't give you any pointers of how they support, um, you know, having a store manager do that to its workers. Um, it's just, it's just not, it's just not fair. It's disgusting and it's very one-sided because all they do is, you know, they say this, they say that, um, but there's, there's never any, any show for it when they're clearly promoting the people who go, who go against their mission statement. Right. And then they put rainbows, you know, around pride month just to make more money. Um, right. Yeah. We had one of your coworkers on, I think Maria Flores and she was she was great. She's one of your coworkers, right, at Farmingville, or, or your your previous co- she was your coworker. Um, me personally, I did not know her. Uh, she might have been from a different store. I, oh, okay. I think Maria is at at one of the stores in Astoria. But they, oh. she she was a part of a group that led a march on on the Starbucks headquarters. I think back on May Day. So yeah, that's um, what I was going to mention. Her actually was because um I uh, heard her speaking recently, and she was pointing out how Starbucks workers united uh, have have struck on the boss 33 times in the past year and how that makes them, you know, at least by that category, the most militant union in New York city. Um, and, and what your coworkers participated in yesterday was a, a strike. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about what the sort of conversation around striking is amongst the members and why you, co-members have chosen to go on strike so much? So First off, I want to say it's it's not an easy conversation to have. Uh, striking brings a lot of nerves into the into the air. It brings a lot of anxieties, a lot of stress. Um, but if you if you are united as one, 
then the striking is just it's it's as easy as breathing you know you just band together uh if you just stick together and use your rights as a union um it, it can definitely be done with any store um i believe it's it's very it, it is a very um scary thing to do at first um you know some things may fall through um cor- like the corporation may call the police they can send you know they can send people to push your voice down, but as long as you don't let let the microphone be taken from you, it, it'll always be yours. Right, and and just to clarify, uh, the strike yesterday was a, a one day strike. It's a, a unfair labor practices strike, which is allowed under uh, labor law in this country. Um, and and before we have to uh, go here in a minute, Brendan, uh, at the same time, you and your coworkers uh, were uh, barging into corporate headquarters. A number of groups out on Long Island were uh, uh, marching and picketing outside of the store there in support of uh, of you and and your coworkers. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. Um, I would like to say thank you to everybody at uh, at home who uh, who stayed at the store and striked for me. Um, I know it isn't easy waking up at that early in the morning to be there to shut shut, uh, shut down a co- uh, the company that really doesn't love its its uh, employees that much as it says it does. Um, so we had two groups, one stayed home in Farmingville and the other came with me in uh uh in Manhattan, along with Workers United, which is the the union that that represents Starbucks. Um we we kinda we talked the battle planned out, we flushed it out, uh we went over to, to the headquarters, um and we kinda just went upstairs. Um and the first person I saw there was uh was Joey himself, uh sitting comfortably in his in his office uh on the fifteenth floor in Manhattan. You know, uh, living living life the way he should, um, and it's just, it's just it's just despicable seeing him smile up there, and then seeing me, uh, with with you know no job, uh, you know I had a lot of future planned out uh, from this job that I was supporting my family with, um, and the second he saw me and the union walk through, he was immediately scared and he ran away. He did he couldn't even look anybody in the eye, and when we asked him to come out, he he refused. Um, and we spoke, we spoke from our hearts and we spoke truth. Wow. Um, yeah, he won't even come out. What do you mean? Uh, look us in the eye. And so in watching that video, um, I, and in watching a lot of stuff about Starbucks Workers United, I've been very inspired to see, uh, that it's, it's really young people like younger than me. Like I'm 26 and I feel like a lot of people who are organizing Starbucks feel like my little siblings or something (laughs) like, so um, just talk about what it feels like to be sort of like at the helm. I mean, I don't know how you, how old you are, Brendan, but at the helm of this really like Gen Z organizing. And does it feel hopeful amid sort of, all of this, you know, really sort of negative stuff that we have to look forward to in our future. Yeah, so it, it honestly feels great. I, I love all the negative attention that I get from the company. Um, even even after the fact that they fired me uh, for you know malpractice, um, I will. I'm still going to continue to push to push forward. Um, it, it's 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 really fun. It seems it was scary at first. I won't lie, but the second I signed my, uh, the letter to Howard Schultz with with my friends uh, over at Farmville. Uh, it was it was all smiles and hope from there. Right, and y'all won that union election uh, last year by a vote of thirteen to one. So that I mean, it, um, it became the first Starbucks in Suffolk County to unionize. So I mean, it certainly seems like there's a lot of unity at your store. Of course, we're we're all just one big family. Um, you know, it isn't just a job for us. It's more of a 
it's more of a career. It's 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 a it's a family bond. It's it's more than just coffee. It's more than just uh, you know a cup of coffee in the garbage. Right on. Well, we thank you, uh, Brendan Lopez, uh, uh, fired uh, shift leader from Farmingville, uh, Long Island, uh, Starbucks. Uh, was a part of a uh, uh, protest action yesterday at Starbucks headquarters, continuing to fight for the union at, at Starbucks, a historic campaign that's been going on for uh, over a year and a half now across the country. Uh, we look forward to continuing to follow the story of the Starbucks workers' ca- uh, union campaign. And uh, on, on that note, um, we're going to have to uh, leave in a minute. Uh, one more time, I want to encourage uh, listeners, uh, if you want to continue to hear voices like those of Brendan Lopez on WBA, you can call 212-209-2950. Sorry we didn't get to the call-ins in today's show. We had intended that, but we had just there's so many great conversations we were having with it earlier with Antonio uh, Rosario from the Teamsters and now Brendan. Um I uh, want to thank uh, Reggie Johnson, our board operator, and uh, Owen Schock for that footage we heard earlier from the Starbucks action. Uh, Amba w- will be back this same time next week. But what's our uh, music we're going to leave on today? So um, we're going to uh, close out with the voice of Soledad Bravo uh, singing Hasta Siempre in 1969. Mm-hmm. 